You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, if you turn your Bibles today to 2 Kings chapter number 5, today we're going to learn about a man who had it all together. On the outside, his marriage was good. He had reached the top of his ladder in his career. His bank account was lavish. But beneath this A-plus exterior, there was something eating at him. There, there's some grand lessons we're going to see in this story this morning that, that we can learn about this man and the people that helped him get some help and a God that healed him. And so uh, maybe like this Naaman today, maybe there's something eating you. And in 2 Kings chapter number 5, I want to begin reading in verse number 1, 2 Kings 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And so from what I looked up about the, the, the amount of silver, this was about 750 pounds of silver and about 150 pounds of gold. If you want to know how important this man Naaman was in the uh, Assyrian and the Syrian uh, empire. So uh, without any further delay, I want to preach on the thought, what's eating you? See, the, the setting for our story in our text is in 850 B.C., the Assyrian Empire is the world's first true world empire. In fact, I believe it's the most underrated empire. It was one of the greatest empires of history. Uh, and right at the top of this empire, there's a captain of the host of the army by the name of Naaman. And so the, the, the Assyrian Empire during this time covered an area uh, from uh, Iraq across Turkey all the way down into Egypt. And I encourage you to get your maps out just to get an idea of how vast and it covered a large portion of the Middle East. The Assyrians were known to be masters of the siege. They were feared for their ruthless cruelty. They were known to flay and impel their enemies alive unless they would submit to their authority. So that would be quite the motivating factor, wouldn't it? You either submit to us, we're going to surround your city. You either give in, or we're, when we capture you, and when we get in the city, 
We are going to impale you alive. We're going to flay you alive. And so they were known to be uh, quite a wicked people. But nevertheless, among these people, there was a man by the name of Naaman. And so let's get introduced to the man in our text. Verse 1, this man, I believe, is representative of many men and women today. I hope that you can maybe find some similarities here with the man Naaman. He was a great man of position. The Bible says he was a captain. He was a great man of power. When you study this man, you find out that he was the right-hand man of one of the right-hand men of the king. He was a man of prestige. He was known for his valor, for his bravery. That's what he was known for. He was thus a very proud man. As a senior-ranking man in the Syrian army, he would have donned a glorious suit of full-body armor. Uh, the, the regular soldiers wore one thing, which was pretty impressive, but then these, these captains, these officers had a full-body uh, armor and, 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 and helmet. I mean, listen, this man had quite the presence. When he walked into the room, man, people turned their heads. Perhaps people would even stand when he came into the room. He was the man that was admired by all, feared by many. He was a man at the very apex of his accomplished military career. He was, again, the, one of the most powerful men in the empire. But he was a leper. He was a leper eating at him, amen? And so literally he had a flesh-eating disease eating at him. But it's interesting when you study the Bible that the Bible is, shows how that leprosy is a picture of sin. Leprosy starts very small. It just starts as a small spot, but soon it begins to uh, spread and to destroy. It begins to bring separation from the people and the things that mean the most to you. Uh, ultimately, it leads to death. So this leprosy in the Word of God is a picture of sin, something that begins so small, something that may even be hidden, but man, it doesn't stay hidden for long. It grows and it gets worse and worse and the effects of it are absolutely terrible. He was a leper. He, everything, listen, on the outside was great, but underneath his imposing and splendid exterior, he had a problem deep inside that he could not remedy. A problem that would sometimes keep him awake at night. He had a problem that was literally eating away at him. Perhaps you can relate to Naaman. Maybe everybody, maybe on the outside you have it all together. Maybe people think that you're okay. Maybe people think that you're strong. Maybe you've got this facade out there that people know you, but you know deep inside something's eating at you. Something, you're missing something. When you lay in bed at night, you think to yourself, man, something's missing. Something's eating away at me. And I believe that's how Naaman was. Uh, listen, uh, maybe, maybe your armor today, it may be your humor or your sarcasm. Your armor could be your anger or your toughness. And so this is what you wear on the outside, and that's what people see. But beneath all that, there's something eating at you. There's something eating away at you, like this leprosy was eating away at Naaman. What's underneath your armor? What's hidden be beneath your exterior this morning? 
See, uh, it, you, you may be a type of person where you say, oh, it's all good on the outside, but on the inside, uh, you know something's different. You keep telling people that it's all good, but deep inside, it's not all good. You keep telling people that you're okay, but deep down inside, you have a problem. You have a problem that's eating at you. You have a problem because some, one thing about leprosy is leprosy, there was no cure for it. So there was no cure for what this man, and that, maybe that's how you feel today. There's a desperate, hopeless feeling to this. He had a disease that had no cure eating away at him. And I'm telling you, you may have something that you just can't figure out a solution to. You've tried everything, but nothing is working. So this is the man, Naaman. This is a man that was, uh, was uh, go going through this. And so he was going through this difficult time, but there's good news for him and there's good news for you that oftentimes our needs are God's opportunities. Our needs are God's opportunities. This man has it all together on the outside, but there's something that he desperately wants. There's something he desperately needs. And I believe that he would give his millions. He would give probably so many of the possessions that he had. As a matter of fact, as we saw, he went with 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. You can look up uh, how much that's worth, man. I mean, I'm talking about an exuberant amount of money. He was willing to give all that. And he probably would have gave just about everything he had to be healed of this leprosy. But see, God's, uh, God works when nothing else will. God, God knows how to work when we finally quit looking to all these other avenues and understand that he's the one with the answer. So we see on this, on this message this morning on what's eating you, we see the man. But number two, we see the messenger. The messenger. There in verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, And the Syrians had gone about by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet in, that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. See, there's some key things about this person. I'm telling you, you may not have ever heard of this girl. We don't even know this girl's name. But I want to tell you, this girl was a hero. She, God had sovereignly and strategically placed someone in this man's life <laughs> a most unexpected person. I'm sure that he looked many places for help. But this is the last person that he would have looked to. I'm sure he went to uh, all the wise men and doctors of Syria and, and, the, and the nations that they had conquered. But the last place he would have thought to look was this little girl within his own house that's a maid to his wife. But she was the one that was placed there to make a difference in his life. I mean, listen, we don't even know her name. But again, she was a hero. Someone once said that all you need to be a hero is honesty, empathy, respect, and open-mindedness. But what is it that made this girl a hero this morning? I want to look at a couple things about this messenger that made a difference in this man's life. Number one, what made this girl a hero was her contentment. Number two, her calling. Number three, her care. 
her contentment, her calling, her care. She had an up-close view. She knew, she knew something was eating at Naaman. She, she saw a different side than the rest of the world saw, and I believe she cared for this man. See, she was placed. She was placed uh, in this man's life. She was passionate uh, for his uh, spiritual needs and his physical need. She was content. She was commissioned. She cared. See, this is not a place this young lady would have wanted to be. The Bible says that she was just a little girl. She was just a maid that had been taken away from her mom, from her dad, from her brothers, her sisters. I mean, there's no doubt that this young girl was not in the place that she would have chosen to be. She was separated from everything and everybody that she loved. She probably missed her simple life and labor on the family farm. She could have been bitter. She could have been resentful. But instead, she found a way to make a difference in somebody else's life in a bad situation. She was thinking of others. She was thinking of others. Uh, see, uh, allow me to say something to some of you out there today that may despise your current station in life. You're not where you want to be, in other words, right now in your life. Whether it be your health, whether it be your, where you live, your family situation, maybe it's your job, whatever it may be, you may not want to be there. You may not like the place you are. This girl did not like the place where she was. But you know what she did? She made the best of her situation. Now, obviously, if, it's a, if, if you can, you may be in a situation, you can work to make that situation better. If you're not content on your job, you can try to work to get a different job and so forth. Whatever the situation may be. But in the meantime, in the meantime, find a place of contentment. In the meantime, remember, there's people that you work with that need Jesus. This girl was placed there to make a difference in this man's life. I believe you're placed where you are for such a time as this. And again, I'm not saying not to go better yourself, but I'm saying or get it, get, find a better situation. But in the meantime, you can keep a good attitude. In the meantime, you can work hard. In the meantime, whatever the situation you are in, remember, it's so easy to, when, we, when we get into these places where we don't want to be to become self-centered. All we're thinking about is ourselves, And we fail to see that there's a world around us, that there's people around us for whom Jesus gave it all. And He's placed you there and He's placed me there. Why? For such a time as this. To make a difference. Amen. I mean, I can't help but think of the, uh, the uh, uh, interesting contrast here, if you will. This girl was a captive. This girl had been taken a prisoner. Um, perhaps if, if she's in Nineveh, she's thousands of miles from home. She's had to accept the fact that she'll probably never see her family again. She'll probably never see home again. And I'm sure, that, I'm sure God had to help her with all that. But I can't help but think about the contrast between this girl that's in this terrible situation, but yet she is helping this pagan man find the Lord versus some of us that may be grown men that cry like a little girl because our situation isn't great. 
You got the little girl standing up and making a difference and being a hero. And I think she serves as a great example to us adults and us men today. But think about that. I mean, uh, she was content, but I believe the reason why she was content is because she understood that she was commissioned. She understood that she was placed there. The reason we're not content sometimes is that we forget to realize that wherever we are in our lives as God's, uh, God's children, we're there and God's going to help us there. And there's people that are in, that, in our lives, in our neighborhood, whatever it may be, on our job, in our families, that we can make a difference for. I believe this girl had a, uh, caught us some sight of that. I love what the Bible says there in verse 3. The Bible talks about her plight. She was a captive. But in verse 3, the Bible says, and she said. So in spite of her situation, she still had something to say. Amen? And she didn't speak up and whine and complain, as I said. She spoke up and said, hey, I know somebody that can help Naaman. Who else was going to think about this? Who else was going to give this man the good news that he needed? You know what the answer is? No one. She was it. She had a great life-changing message, and she was willing to share it. Amen? See, thank the Lord she wasn't so busy complaining that she should, couldn't show compassion. And that's a good question. If you're in a situation like this girl that you would rather not be in, don't spend all your time complaining. Remember to have some compassion. In other words, quit looking inward so much and begin to look around and look outward at who you can make a difference. You remember the Apostle Paul, how that he was prisoned, uh, in prison for preaching Christ? for preaching the Word of God, just for doing right. He was put into prison. He was chained to a Roman guard. What did he do? Well, he was chained to those Roman guards on four-hour shifts. Well, I'll tell you, those Roman guards got the gospel message. Amen? And I'm telling you, many of them came to Christ. Many of them went and led others to Christ. You know what he did? I mean, we're studying the book of Philippians on Wednesday nights. I preached a series out of Philippians. I'm doing it right now on Wednesdays as well. But I had titled it years ago, Making Lemonade in Prison. Amen? Because life had given Paul lemons. But he was making lemonade out of it. Amen? He was making the best of it. He was rejoicing. He was winning people to Christ. In fact, he called himself a prisoner of Christ. Some people give, get, try to give the, the, the devil all the blame for everything that happens to them when all reality they need to say, you know what, God has allowed me to come to this situation and if it is the devil, the only way the devil could get within a thousand yards of you or me if you're saved by God's grace is by God's permission. So if he's there, guess what I can do? I can say like Paul, I'm a prisoner of Christ, amen? And we can rejoice and we can witness to those around us. She had been given a life-changing message. But she was content because she was commissioned. She was content because she cared. I think of the times that I've worked with difficult people. But I get to know them a little bit, and I find out that they have a close relative who's a preacher of the gospel. Or I share the gospel with somebody, and I find out that their sister is a Christian and has been witnessing to them for some time, praying for them for years. Has it ever dawned on you as it has on me 
that I'm standing there with this difficult person, I'm the neighbor to this difficult person or whatever the case may be, uh, and I am an answer to their loved one's prayer? Have you ever thought that God has put you in that person's life? See, I have loved ones that I'm praying for, and so do you. I'm praying for loved ones that need Jesus. Most of them live back in North Carolina. I have some in other states. Some of them are difficult. Some are living a shameful lifestyle. Some are living on the bad side of town without a dime or a nickel to their name. Some are on drugs and drunk and whatever else the case may be. But you know what I want? You know what I'm praying? I'm praying for God to work, amen? See, I believe that God answers our prayers when we pray. And you know what I pray? I pray for my loved ones. I'm praying that God will bring somebody into their lives. I'm praying they'll have a neighbor that knows Jesus. I'm praying they have a co-worker that's saved. And I believe that God answers that prayer. I mean, but think about this. What kind of Christian, what kind of Christian do you want to be working with your loved one that you're praying for? What kind of Christian do you want to be the neighbor to your loved one? What kind of Christian do you hope gets a job where your son works? What kind of friend do you hope that your mom gets? What kind of neighbor do you pray your loved ones have? Be that kind of Christian. Amen. Be that kind of Christian. Because there is a mama somewhere praying for your neighbor. There's a sister somewhere praying for that guy you work with. Perhaps God, you know what I believe? I believe perhaps God will honor my prayer if I will be the answer to someone else's prayer. You are the answer to somebody else's prayer. You're saved. You know the God of Israel. This girl said, man, there's a miracle working God in Israel. And she said, he'll do something. He can do something for this man. He can do all things. And you know what? That's how we are. We know God, amen? We know this God that can do anything and save anybody and change any life. Hallelujah. You know what our job is? To tell somebody, to be that Christian, to express and show the joy and faith of our Lord. And so we see the man that has something eating at him. We see a, a girl, we see a messenger that cares for this man. And then lastly, we see the miracle. Is something eating at you today? We see the miracle. Well, this man makes the long journey from Syria to Samaria. And in chapter 5 and verse number 9, the Bible says, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now, you remember Naaman, right? I mean, he is decked out. I mean, he is riding on the, the nicest horse, most beautiful chariot, probably that these people would have ever seen. And up to Elisha's door he comes. And verse 10 says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. <laughs> but Naaman was wroth. 
He was angry. The Bible says he went away and he said, Behold, I thought, underscore that, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not, and he's just on a rant, are not uh, Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went in a rage. I mean, he was just huffing and puffing. But the Bible says in verse 13, guess what God did? God brought some more unnamed servants that care. Amen? And his servants came near and spake unto him, probably after he cooled down a little bit, and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? If he just said, go on this crazy, uh, you know, quest, and at the end of this quest, if you accomplish it, you'll be healed of your... They said, you probably would have done that. How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. So we see the miracle. I want to say something about the way that God works sometimes. You'll find out that sometimes the way God works is inconvenient. For one thing, he had to go way out of the way even to get here. But this man, it was infuriating to him. Verse 11, he was wroth. Verse 12, he was in a rage. How many of you have found that sometimes the way God works is frustrating? It's okay to admit it. See, our expectations on how God is going to answer our prayers, like he said, I thought that he would come out and do such and such. See, we get these expectations about how God's going to answer our prayers, about how God's going to meet our needs. And if we're not careful, it can result in frustration and anger because let me tell you something, uh, God doesn't always do things the way we think He's going to do them in the time we think He's going to do them. Uh, he doesn't do things that way. You know how He does them? Better. But in our pride, he said, oh, this man Naaman was so proud. Yes, he was. And like I started off the message, that's one of the reasons we can identify with him. Why do we get frustrated when God doesn't do things the way we think we ought to, that we, that we ought to do them? Well, just listen to what we're saying. We're proud. We actually think that we, that, that we know better than God. Are we crazy? I mean... He was in a rage. Our expectations. This is how God's going to work. Let me tell you something, friend. God cares about you. And you know how God's going to work? He's going to work the way that He's supposed to work. He's going to work the right way. And God always works with His glory and your good at heart. God's good. He just doesn't do things, see, the way we think. I mean, so He was frustrated. It was baffling. Verse 12, I mean, listen, so not only was what the prophet had to say to him frustrating, but again, think about this prideful situation he's in. He travels, he's a dignitary, he is used to being honored everywhere he goes. But instead of being honored, the, the prophet doesn't even so much as come out of his house. He just sends a servant out there, and the servant says, yeah. He said, go out there and dip in the Jordan River, which I think was about 32 miles away. Go dip in that river seven times, and you'll be good. 
And I'm sure not only did he think the prophet would come out and wave his hand over the, but he probably thought the prophet would come out and say, oh, wow, what a great guy, and aren't you awesome? But none of that, none of that. See, it was frustrating. It was baffling. See, God, obedience to what God tells you to do sometimes seems unreasonable. See, if he could just pay this dude, he could still walk away with his pride. See, it would have been okay to come to... See, he wasn't coming groveling. He was up on his high horse and, and dressed in his armor and everything, and he was going to pay him all this money and so that he could maintain some pride. But here's the thing. He could either return home with his pride or with a miracle, but not with both. And I'm telling you, that's how it is with you and me. You can, either, you can either keep your pride or you can have your miracle, but you're not having both. You're not going to have both. And so here's this man. I mean, listen, he is frustrated. You see, to disobey what God says, it, it, to, obedience seems unreasonable, but to disobey means it will cost him what he needs and what he desires the most. It's the same thing with you and you and I. See, there, there's, I think about this too, by the way, these rivers. He, he had some better rivers than Jordan River. Jordan River, we hear about it a lot, and it can be almost romanticized, but the Jordan River is a muddy river. It's not some beautiful, pristine river, man. It's a muddy river. And so he's thinking, you want me to go get in that muddy old thing when I can go over here and to get some clean rivers? And we'll say more about that in just a moment. But I want to just point out again those folks in verse number 13 that cared about him. We don't know the maiden's name. We don't know these, these servants' names that encouraged him. You know why? Because God's going to be the one that gets the glory. And I want to ask you this. Are you okay with God being the one to get the glory? You say, well, preacher, that's a ridiculous question, but is it really? Because what about when we don't get the recognition? What about when we don't get the pat on the back? Is it really okay if God gets the glory? Is it really okay if we go unnamed? These people went unnamed. And folks, ultimately, it was, Elisha didn't get the glory. The, the maiden didn't get the glory. These servants, Naaman didn't get the glory. God got the glory, amen. And so uh, it had to be on God's terms. It had to be on God's... Listen, God wants to do a miracle in your life. God knows what's eating you. He wants to help you and heal you from that. But I'm telling you, it has to be on God's terms. In other words, it has to be the way God said it. It has to be when God said it. See, when God begins to work on someone's heart and they attempt to compromise with God, they'll say, okay, I'll go to church. But I'll go to that one that's socially acceptable. In other words, I'm not going to the Jordan. What about those nice rivers in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Syria? I'll go to one of those. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll go to church, but I'll go to, to the one that when I go there, my family will say, oh, okay, well, that's all right. I'll go to the one that's socially acceptable. Or they'll say that the, the one that's acceptable to my friends and my community where they won't make fun of me. I'll go to the one with the fancy building. I'll go to the one where the preacher doesn't preach too loud and certainly doesn't preach too long. But that church is not where the miracle happens. Amen? 
Naaman could have went and dipped himself a million times in those other rivers and he'd still come out and something would have still been wrong underneath. There was one river, there was one way to get help, and it was the way that God said. See, many people say, okay, I'll go to church, but they want to go to that one where they avoid personal responsibility. You can hide in the crowd. They want to go to the back, that one where you can avoid personal accountability. You want to go to that one where they don't preach on hell and they don't preach about sin and it's a good God and a good devil and so forth. You want to go to that one where they steer clear of controversial issues. But that church is not where the miracles happen. They can give you something to cover it up, but they can't take away that which is eating you inside. I mean, son, there's, there's some churches that will baptize you so quick. Uh, I mean, listen, but, if you don't, if you, but, but do you know Christ? Have you got that really cleansed, the sin cleansed from your heart? i got to say this. Some of Elk Point Baptist Church's finest members today are people who told God that, uh, that, 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 God, that they told that God could do something in their lives. They were told that if you go down there, if you hear that message, God can change your life. But before we got the building we're in now, we started in a storefront. And they saw that storefront, and you know what many of our members will uh, admit to? I can't go in there. I'm not going into a strip mall church, <laughs> right? See, some of our finest members were Catholic or Lutheran and, and would never step foot into a Baptist church especially one that's in a storefront. But someone, maybe an unnamed person, said, give it a try. Amen. What will it hurt? What will it hurt? And, uh, and, and boy, I tell you what, as a result of that, they came in, they heard the message. It's not about me, it's about the truth of God. They heard the message. It's about the working of the Spirit of God. God's worked in their heart. Listen, God saved their souls. God gave them victory over that which had been eating at them. Now the Lord's doing a work in their lives, a work in their children. Their children love the Lord. Their families are happy. I mean, they have a meaning in their life and purpose it's a blessing i think of one family and and the wife came and uh she came on a, a sunday or a wednesday i can't remember which one but she loved it and she said i'm coming back and i'm bringing my husband next week but you pray because he said he is not going to a baptist church well finally she convinced him just come and try it it's okay i'm not going to a baptist church and that was just the craziest thing but the thing, you want to know what she did not tell him? <laughs> she did not tell him that it was in a storefront. And he pulled up and he's like, are you kidding me? This is the church. It's a Baptist church and it's in a storefront. But you can ask him today. And you know, you know, what, you know what he'll say? That he walked in those doors. And I tell you, he says he knew before he left that this was the church where God wanted he, he and his family. Amen. And they're still here and serving the Lord. Amen. I think of, of another, another one of our precious ladies. Saw that it was a storefront and thought, I can't, I'm not going in there. But you know what she did? She humbled herself. And she came in. And guess what happened? She heard the gospel message and praised the Lord. My dear sister got saved by the grace of God. Amen. I mean, in other words, listen, sometimes God will tell you to do something that doesn't sound reasonable. But, and, and it doesn't sound like you ought to do it. 
But they, listen, God will work when you do it God's way. You've got to be willing to humble yourself. In other words, you've got to be willing to come to God on His terms. All right? So what, what are God's terms? Because, see, partial obedience is still disobedience. Notice quickly, and I'll give you these things and we'll be done. Notice in that verse number 14, notice a humbling. The Bible says, then went he, what's that next word? I hope you got your Bibles in 2 Kings 5. Down. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You want to know another word for humbling? Embarrassing. Let's be honest here. <laughs> I mean, here's this man. He's a captain. He's a great man. This man has been just reverenced every step of the way. He's a man of honor in the greatest empire on the face of the earth. But guess what he has to do when it comes time to go down into, uh, to get his miracle? You know what happens? His armor comes off. His armor comes off. He gets down there to the river and he has to start taking off that which he's been, uh, which he's been hiding all this time. That which he's been covering up and off it begins to come. And on he goes and he's taking all of his, uh, his armor off He's getting now down to uh, just to where he's got just the, 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 bare, the bare minimum on. And down into that river he goes. See, if you're going to get a miracle, you're going to have to take your armor off. You're going to have to disarm. You're going to have to let your defenses down. You're going to have to let God in. You're going to have to set aside your anger and your sarcasm. You're going to have to just be vulnerable. You say, well, that doesn't sound very comfortable. It's not. This was humiliating. This great man, can't him getting his feet muddy, sinking down into that muddy old river. It's out of that old nasty river. And can't you just imagine him looking back and, think, and, and just saying, don't y'all look at me. Are y'all snickering up there? You know, down he goes into this river. He had to feel like such a fool. His armor had to cut, come off. You want to know something else? When he began to take uh, that off, no doubt, all of a sudden his leprosy was exposed. Everybody could see it now. There was no more hiding it. There was no more covering it up. Here it is, y'all. This is the real me. I'm a leper. I'm a sinner. All right? So his leprosy was exposed. See, if you're going to get a miracle... If you're going to let God heal and fix what's been eating at you, you've got to quit playing around. You've got to quit trying to, uh, you know, make excuses. You've got to quit trying to do it your way. You've got to go down into the muddy Jordan, like God said, not into the acceptable, uh, something acceptable that you will, are willing to do. The lepers is exposed. No more excusing your sin. It's not mama's fault anymore. It's not, it's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's none of that. You're just saying, you know what, it's just me. This is me. His leprosy was exposed. Then he had to obey. Further, he got there, took, took off that hard exterior, exposed his leprosy. Wherever he goes. And there he stands with his feet down in that muddy river, 
and then he dips. Muddy water. And you, you want to you know, I, I can imagine how he felt, like a fool. What am I doing? But he did, God didn't say go out there and dip once. I can imagine he dips again. Y'all quit looking at me, you know. Then again, oh my gosh. And maybe he comes up and looks and says, this don't look any better. This is the stupidest thing. I'm liable to get an infection with this old muddy water getting in my wounds. But this is the way God said to do it. So he goes again and he goes again and he goes again until seven times he dips in that river. And when he comes, hallelujah, when he comes up that seventh time, guess what? A miracle. Amen. He looks and his flesh is brand new. Just like, just like baby skin. What happened? God did a miracle in this man. Why? Because, listen, there was a God that cared. There was a messenger. There's someone that God placed in his life that was willing to do their parts. And this man was willing to humble himself. He was willing to strip off that hard exterior and to say, this is me. This is the real me. His armor comes off. His leprosy is exposed. He was willing to obey God. How about you this morning? Have you just partially obeyed God? And you're wondering why something's still eating at you? In other words, have you dipped once and come up and said, well, that's still leprous? Or maybe you went and dipped in your own river and you come up and you st something's still eating at you. Do it God's way. Do what God said. If you're not saved today, quit playing religion. Religion's not going to help you. Getting church ain't going to help you. You need to get saved, amen. You need to call on the Lord. You need to turn to Him for salvation. Child of God, you need to get real with God. You need to forget about this, this uh, facade that you're putting on. Man, you just need to get real. Get a miracle in your life. Get help with what's eating you because you want to know something? That's what God, it's God's will for your life. God wants you to live the abundant life, amen. God wants you to live a life of joy and victory. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to come clean, amen. And, and, and you can do it. You can see God do it if you'll just simply do it God's way. Let's pray this morning and we'll be dismissed. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our Father, I thank you so much for the Word of God. I thank you for the day, Lord, that you did a miracle in my life. Lord, it's no credit to me. I thank you for those who witnessed to me, but it's, it's, it's not them that get the glory. Ultimately, it's you that gets the glory. The miracles you've done in my life since I've been saved, Lord, it's you that gets the glory. Keep working miracles, dear God. Work a miracle, I pray, in somebody's life today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.